Hi, and welcome back to Ocean Waves. My name is Kevin Hill. I'm the executive publisher here at Freight Waves. We have a, a, a fantastic talk for you right now. We have someone who's in demand, in demand with the mainstream media, with, with everyone. He's an expert on ocean and maritime shipping. That's Lars Jensen. He's the CEO of Vespucci Maritime. And let's welcome him to the, the show right now. How are you doing today, Lars? I'm great. Thanks. Thanks for having me. That's good. So, so we've been um, deluged in the mainstream media with, uh, is, is Christmas going to happen? Uh, you know, everyone's nervous about Christmas, about having goods for Christmas. And this is something you follow very closely. We were talking about it a few minutes ago. Uh, just exactly what is going on in the, the ocean markets? Will we, have, uh, will we be able to go out and buy presents for Christmas? The short answer is yes. We shouldn't fear that much for Christmas. Uh, of course, it's easy to barrel down the path when you're seeing a uh, hundred ships lay offshore. You are having hundreds of thousands of containers not coming to raise that fear. I can understand where the storyline, especially in the mainstream media, comes from. But yes, it is going to be Christmas. There, there are two ways of looking at it. It depends very much on each individual. How do you buy your ship, your Christmas goods? If you're the kind of person that is already now, you have set your mind, it has to be this one special type of kitchen cabinet, especially this one type of color. If that is your plan, you may actually be out of luck. You may be in a situation that Christmas doesn't arrive until April, and then you will feel sorely disappointed. On the other hand, if you're the type of person to say, well, yeah, I'm going to buy a, a, a kitchen cabinet. It doesn't really matter which type or which brand or which color. In that case, you will have plenty to choose from. You might be in a situation where there's only 500 different ones to choose from, where normally you could choose between 600 different versions. So in percentage, it will sound enormous. 15% of the goods is not there in my hypothetical example. But there will still be plenty of goods of all price tags, of all different colors, sizes, and shapes there will just be some of them that won't be there. So if you've got your mindset on one very specific item and it's still in the store, pick it up now. <laughs> but if you are not that picky, then it's not really a problem. There, There's a lot of congestion in the ports. There's a lot of problems in the, the, the supply chain, a lot of bullwhip effects going on right now. But freight is still moving. Freight is moving domestically here in the U.S. Freight is moving around the world. Uh, the levels uh, you mentioned were uh, about the same. Is that, is that correct, Lars? Yeah, I mean, if I look at this from a global perspective, we're at a point where we're moving the same amount of containers globally. The latest data were from July. They're unfortunately always a little bit lagged. 15 million TEU were shipped, and that is versus 14.8 million the same month last year. And incidentally, also 14.8 million in 2019 before the pandemic. So we are still moving the same amount of goods around the world. Does that mean that every piece of goods is actually being moved? No, there is some stuff being left behind and there are no statistics telling us exactly how much is being left behind. But 15 million containers still being moved. World trade has not come to an end. It certainly has. It's, 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 it's booming. So if we're moving about the same amount of containers, I know some, some containers or some product is getting left behind. What do you attribute the, the congestion to? I mean, we're running, what, 70, but, but let's say between 60 and 80 ships 
out in San Pedro Bay right now. And that's a huge story. It's going to be a big story all year. Uh, the, the the mainstream press and, and financial writers are really writing about that because it's probably going to uh, affect earnings. We're about to run into earnings season. I'm sure that we are going to, to hear a lot of conference calls of CEOs blaming this on any poor financial results they might have. Yeah, two, two, two things for that. First of all, I mean, the, the reason we have this bottleneck is not any single issue. It's everything at the same time. You have a demand boom, which means you've got an inordinately large amount of ships coming in at the same time. You don't just magically scale up port capacity. And this is not too late at the feet of the ports, uh, because to a significant degree, the ports are caught between a rock and a hard place. On the ocean side, they got this tsunami of cargo coming in they need to deal with. On the land side, they're faced with importers who are actually not as quick as picking up the cargo as per normal. Then you get stuck as a port with nowhere to go. The importers not picking up the cargo, again, is due to a lot of different reasons. In some cases, you can't get a truck. Then what are you going to do? And if you get a truck, you can't get a chassis. And if I can actually get hold of a truck and a chassis, I'm being drove by the rail line. You cannot come down to the railhead because, well, we are completely occupied. Then you have shippers where because the supply chain is in disarray, it's not the cargo they expected that's actually arriving now, they might not have room for it in their warehouse, so they don't pick it up. So it's not a matter of we can, you can say, do the blame game and find out who is the one party responsible for this that needs to shape up. It's more a matter of every single node in this long chain is challenged. And addressing each individual single node is not going to lead to any rapid uh, resolution of the of the fundamental problems and as long especially here in the states as as long as the american consumer has shift has shifted from services to uh, tangible items products uh, this is going to to continue as, as long as that boom uh boom continues I, I think we both agree that at some point you know this long gradual trend of shifting from products to services that got reversed very quickly during the pandemic is going to move that way again at, at some point. Yeah, eventually it will. I mean, this drastic shift where the U.S. consumer now buys a lot more goods and less services is at the outset not a reflection that 350 million Americans suddenly decided that they prefer goods instead of services. This is, of course, driven by the fact that to a large degree, they were deprived of the opportunity to buy the services they normally like to buy, which also means at some point in time, they are highly likely to revert back to that pattern again, because that was reflective of what they actually want to do, not what they are forced into doing or not doing. When that happens, the tsunami of cargo will also abate. Not that it will necessarily come to a crashing halt, but it will abate at some point in time. But that seems to lie quite a bit out into the future. There's clearly a boom now leading up towards Christmas. And even if it starts to abate there, inventories are actually very, very low. Despite all the cargo that came in, that has barely been enough just to maintain the low inventory levels that were there. So, so if we look at the, the, the cargo lines, you know, the, the steamship lines. Uh, back in April of 2020, they were looking into the, into the abyss. Uh, blank sellings were, were prevalent. Bankruptcies were, were ruined. And now they are having record-breaking profits. Um, I, there's a lot of talk in, in Washington, D.C. about regulations, about unfair pricing. I, I guess, really, what's your take on, on all of these considerations? 
yeah, there's a lot of different elements to unpack in this one. I mean, when the pandemic started, absolutely no one in their right mind foresaw that the carriers would suddenly be on track to make $100 billion in 2021. It was actually quite the opposite. As you also correctly point out, when we were standing in March, April, May last year and demand had plummeted 30% across the world, some carriers were, were likely months away of running out of cash and going bankrupt before the tables turned. Uh, we need to keep that one uh, clearly in mind. What has then transpired, of course, is an extremely rapid reversal. And here's important to distinguish a couple of things, because what I increasingly see is different elements being confused with each other. We had a lot of blank sailings, especially in Q2 last year. That's absolutely correct. Those blank sailings took place in an environment where demand had plummeted. So the amount of blank sailings actually also matched the drop in demand. And it's also important to note, in this period, freight rates did not increase. They were slowly declining, or you can say they were basically stabilized. So the carriers avoided the abyss, but it didn't go up. Then the American demand boom started. That caused freight rates to begin to skyrocket, because in the early phase, sure, for a few weeks, there were not enough vessels because the carriers genuinely didn't believe that in the middle of the pandemic, you're going to see a boom in the economy. That was just so weird. But within a few weeks, they realized what was happening and they actually began to throw a lot more capacity into the transpack, causing problem number two, because the carriers could throw ships in there because they'd been lying idle anyway. But then you're running out of empty containers in Asia. Because of all the blank sailings, a lot of containers had not been repositioned. That, of course, causes another upwards pressure on prices. So you had this whole domino effect coming in. When you were then getting up towards, let's fast forward to where we are today. Today, there's just not enough ships. Well, there is and there isn't at the same time. The number of ships is perfectly fine. We, we don't have a shortage of ships. The problem is... They are lying idle outside lots of ports, uh, twiddling their thumbs, and then, of course, they can't move cargo. As long as that's the case, then we don't have enough ships. And building more ships and throwing them into the mix, first of all, they're going to be delivered in 2024. And even if we magically could build an armada of new ships tomorrow, it wouldn't really help because all these ships would then run into the bottlenecks in the port and the interland uh, infrastructure. So... There's not really anything you can say the carriers have done. I've heard that the carriers have fomented this crisis, and there's a lot of flack. Emotionally, I can understand why a lot of shippers are enormously angry. They are really, really in a tough spot. And that goes especially for small and medium-sized shippers, not so much the big guys. But the small and medium-sized ones, some of them are, if this continues, they're looking at bankruptcies because they, this just doesn't work for them. Simple as that. But there's just not much that can be done. And that's where, again, the discussion with the regulators become interesting. Because when you're in a situation where, quite literally, there is not enough capacity, somebody needs to be left behind. It is that simple. So how do you prioritize? Well, right now, up until now, for the last 12 months, the implicit decision has been, let the market decide. And like in any other market, if you need to reduce demand, you keep increasing prices until sufficiently many customers throw in the towel and say, I'm just not going to buy the product. And that's exactly what we have seen unfolding. You could also insist that we need the regulators to come in. And, and you could do that in very many different shapes. But in reality, what you're saying is the regulators are not going to be able to magically create more capacity either. 
So what you're saying is instead of letting the market decide on price, on who gets on board and who doesn't, we let the regulators decide who gets on board and who doesn't. This will be favorable for some that might actually then be able to get on board that cannot get on board now. And it will be disfavorable to someone else who will then not be able to get on board. It it definitely will. I mean, uh, the, and that's, that's you really summed it up really quite nicely there, Lars, is that the, the regulators, regulators would have to choose who gets the capacity and not market-based pricing. Uh, the spot market's been been crazy with with container traffic, and and we all know that. And it's it's good to have, you know, even though it was just a year and a half ago, to go back and really look at that and, and see the bits, see the, the demand fall through the the, the the floor, all the blank sailings, and then all of a sudden, you know, it's almost like a snap of fingers. Demand came back; it came roaring, but back, and to to be able to to put the capacity on the shelf to to bring it back. You know, topsy turvy in such a short time frame, kind of uh, threw everyone for a loop, and, and we're still kind of feeling those reverber- reverberations uh, coming down through the pipe right now, aren't we? Yeah, you you can say the the reverberations here are not done, not by a long shot, and I can easily see a scenario where it's going to get worse in the coming months. It's not going to get better before we start to then hopefully see light at the end of the tunnel. Ideally, if we if I'm optimistic, you're looking six months into the future. Uh, because there's still a lot of challenges going ahead. But of course, it also brings up another thing that's becoming more and more topical. Was the maritime supply chain sufficiently robust? And the easy answer, of course, is to say no, because we can clearly see now, now it's not working. But there are some nuances in there that's equally important. If you want to make the maritime supply chain more robust, more resilient, you need more buffer. But there's another word for buffer. That's called overcapacity. And clearly, over the last 30 years, we have been pursuing a path, not just shipping lines, but the shippers themselves as well. We want the supply chain to be efficient, which means we want it to be low cost. We want not to have larger inventories than we need to. We don't want to have large waiting times and pick up. We really want that supply chain to be lean, and we were successful in doing that. But that was had an underlying premise everybody forgot. The underlying premise was that there would always be enough capacity. Now suddenly, because of a pandemic, there isn't. You can then start to argue, should we have built this more robustly? I'm actually not sure uh, for a couple of reasons. First, if we look back, you can argue that for the last 30 years, we have saved a lot of money because we didn't build in those buffers. And now it's payback time. How much money did we save over the last 30 years versus how much does it cost us now? It might actually turn out that this was the cheaper option. It's just sad when you're in that one year where you have to pay the bill. But seen in the long scope, this might actually have been the right decision. We don't know. But if you look forward, the interesting thing here is you can say a good question would always be, have we learned the lesson and and have the industry learned the lesson? I would tend to say no. What I fully expect to unfold over the next, let's call it three to five years, over the next 12, 24, 36 months, everyone who's importing and exporting cargo, they will have learned a hard lesson from what we're seeing right now. Everybody will build in buffers. And again, that means they will have higher inventories than they like. They will have longer lead times than they like. All of that will be built in. And for a period of time, that will seem like the rational, logical choice. But here's what's then going to happen. Then you're three years down the line. Let's say I'm a medium-sized U.S. importer, and I've now built these buffers in. I learned my lesson. 
then rest assured, there will be a group of new young people who's going to look at my company. Those young people are looking at, look at this stupid old uh, geezer who is too afraid of what might happen. His logistics chain is far too expensive. I'm going to set up a competing business with a good lean supply chain. I'm going to have much lower cost and outcompeting. This is the process that will happen. So in the short term here, the next few years, yeah, we're going to have more costs because everybody will want more buffers in. But gradually, those buffers will disappear again. They will. You know, it, it reminds me of all business strategies work until they don't. Yeah. So the point, at some point, it, it, it's not going to work. Let's talk about that light at the end of the tunnel. Well, let's talk about what happens when the, the American consumer moves back to that historical pattern of spending on shipping when, you know, all the the alpha, gamma, delta variants are, are kind of gone. And 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 what happens to the, the cargo lines then? Is it back to the bus cycle? Um, um, to, to, to some degree, no. There's a couple of moving parts here. First of all, you're going to have turmoil when we are reverting back to normal. You're going to see the freight rates come off these insanely high levels and back towards something that is, I was a bit to call it a bit more humane. That process is going to be disorderly. It's going to be turmoil while it happens. It will lead to some of these small lines that very opportunistically come into the market now. They're making good money, good for them, but they will not survive that transition back to normality. This is where the size of ships and size of networks begin to matter again. And then we get back to normality. And here is something that becomes extremely important. It's not the normality we were used to. And that has nothing to do with the pandemic. The market had fundamentally changed. We just hadn't quite realized it yet. And that change is predominantly the consolidation of the carriers. This was in place before the pandemic. And this is exactly why they could navigate the early phases of the pandemic without going bankrupt. The carriers have attained more market power. This is not to accuse them of anything illegal because I genuinely don't believe they do that. Actually, what this is, it's the logical endpoint of a 20-year journey for the carriers. When the carriers were fragmented, this industry were becoming commoditized. Like in any other industry, being fragmented, being commoditized and competing on price, that is a surefire recipe for disaster. The way out of that is to consolidate down to fewer players. Fast forward to, let's look at Q2 2020. Why were the carriers successful in avoiding bankruptcies? Think about it this way. When the financial crisis hit, all the carriers went heavily loss-making because they didn't pull capacity. And if I'm fragmented, I have one weekly service. So demand drops. What can I do? Well, the last thing I want to do is remove capacity because then I lose the remaining part of my customers. They go to my competitors who benefit. Surely I won't do that. Last year, an alliance would easily have, say, 10 weekly services on a trade lane. Demand drops 30%. That's fairly easy to deal with. I, I just blank three out of 10 sailings. I don't have to drop my prices. I can maintain my price. My ships are full. It is still a cost because I have these extra ships now that are not moving anywhere, but it's not a complete disaster. And this is a sign that if I have 10 weekly services as an alliance, I can at all times adjust my capacity up and down in steps of 10%. And nobody can predict from week to week the precise level of demand in the market. It's just too volatile. So having a consolidated market where I can fine-tune that capacity week by week, that simply means that the carriers have a much better grip on how to maintain a reasonable degree of vessel utilization without having to resort to a price war all the time. 
So the normality we were heading into was the opposite of what we were used to. What we were used to the last 20 years is most of the time, the carriers were in a price war with each other. And then on a few events, the market got tight and prices got up and stayed high for a period of time, but not too long. Going forward, it's going to be the opposite. Going forward, rates are going to be nowhere near this extreme high, but they're going to be higher permanently. And then fine, on a few short occasions, the carriers will likely go into a price war with each other, but the balance between the two is going to be reversed. It's always a balance, and it's different balances all the time. Thank you so much uh, for your time today, Lars. It's been a, a great conversation. We've enjoyed having you here at Ocean Waves, Trouble on the High Seas. Uh, really quickly before we go, on a scale of 1 to 10, how chaotic is it going to get uh, in, the, in the fourth quarter leading up to, to, to the holidays uh, before we, we see um, see more normalcy into into the ocean markets? I would say on that scale right now, we are on eight going into Q4. We can hope for a seven, but it might equally well be a nine. I'm reserving the 10 for the point where you get COVID and shut down Shanghai. True, true. That's another topic that, that we'll be talking about later on today is, are the Asian markets. We can talk all day about this. But thank you so much again, Lars. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Everyone stay tuned for more exciting sessions here at Ocean Waves, Trouble on the High.